It takes more than great database normalization skills to be a great engineer. This is episode 110 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Tance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software engineers about non-technical subjects. I, I really have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to normalize those databases? I mean, I do. I can't think of a dumb joke about that and soft what you, skills. What even is normal, though, really? Yeah, that's the soft skill in there, probably. Yeah, I mean, you're making a value judgment there. I think to that, we have to turn to philosophers. I'll bet philosophers don't have four levels of normal. <laughs> Maybe we'll find one. <laughs> you know, this ancient Greek philosopher did arrive at, at acid. Huh. <laughs> Through the fourth normal form. <laughs> yeah. All right, we have a bunch of patrons we'd like to thank. Thank you so much to these patrons who are donating at the $20 a month level. Thank you to Nick Cantor, Dimitro Neonilla, David Jackson, Chris Fitkin, Ken Howard, Sean Clayton, and Dustin Coates. Thank you all so much for your support, and thank you to everyone else who is supporting the show. I have said a, a hundred times probably so far that we're using it to fund things, and we actually are. We were planning on doing it and hadn't paid anyone <laughs> money yet. And we have started to pay other people money to make the show better. Mm -hmm. So your your donations are helping make that happen. Thank you so much. All this time, I thought the money was just going to pay for your yacht. Well, that's the long-term play, right? <laughs> we, we get these donations. We invest 100% of them in the show. And then we get 1% more donations. And if we do that <laughs> for long enough... Millions and millions of years. <laughs> <laughs> you could make one month of yacht payment. <laughs> yeah. All right. You want, you want to read our first question? I totally do. This is from a listener named Cindy. How do I help foster team spirit in a newly created team? For context, we've just gone through a merger. All the team members, me included, have worked for the same company pre-merger for at least the last couple of years. I think highly of my new teammates, but we're not used to working in a team, so we're not good at asking or offering help, sharing knowledge, having productive discussion, and all the other good things teams are supposed to do. P.S. Love your work. So glad you started this podcast. There's nothing else like it. We are one of a kind. If there is, we will approach them and merge, and then there will be nothing else like it. <laughs> the oligopoly of soft skills podcast. You have been absorbed. <laughs> so... Newly formed team that came together after a merger. Have you ever been through something like that? Um, trying to think. Yeah, kind of. I've been at the existing company that acquired other companies. That's happened to me twice where other people kind of got merged in. I want to go back to what team spirit is, though. My understanding from the Nirvana song is that's actually slang for marijuana. Wait, do you mean teen spirit? Yeah. Wait. Isn't that, that song isn't about team spirit? <laughs> the whole time, Dave. For, oh, man. That was, that was like 25 years ago that song came It out. smells like team spirit. I was pretty <laughs> sure that's what it was. Um, We've just gone through a merger, all teammates, blah, blah, blah. I think the, the thing I remember from just going through the merger is this palpable aura of fear around all of the new people. They had come <laughs> to a new place. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know how things worked. They didn't know if their jobs were secure. They didn't know like what the company they were joining really did. 
I mean, they kind of knew from, I don't know, you can Google it and hear the pitch a little bit, but you don't, you don't actually know. So there's just all these unknowns. It's, it's like being forced to change jobs, but without actually, I mean, you don't get a pick where you go, right? Yeah. So I think one of the most important things you can do is like calm the fears. I don't know how much control you have over the actual circumstances as far as like maybe their jobs are <laughs> in jeopardy. <laughs> Hopefully not, but you have to balance like, do I just straight up lie to them with, do I, <laughs> do I help them not worry about things that they can't really control? But the broad point of just, just try and calm things down and make this place of security and stability and kind of carve out a little safe place. So I think that's, that's a big thing you can do. I think the way that I would do that is I'd walk over to them, look them right in the eyes and say, don't worry everything's going to be great. And then a big smile. <laughs> Would that work? Just hold that eye contact. Yeah, just hold it. And then think- break it. <laughs> and then you walk to the next person, one <laughs> desk down in your open plan office. Yep. <laughs> it's going to be And great. then you get to the last person and you just make eye contact, but you don't say anything. <laughs> That will put people at ease. (laughs) Nothing makes engineers feel more comfortable than prolonged silent eye contact. Mm. Oh, it's like a nice blanket. (laughs) Yeah. I found myself getting worse at holding eye contact the older I get. Really? Yeah. I don't like it, man. It used to not bother me and now I... So what's going on in your head when people lock lock eyes with you? Maybe I'll fall in love with them. Maybe they'll fall in love with me. (laughs) Maybe you have accumulated so many misdeeds that you're afraid they'll see into your soul. (laughs) Yeah. When you were young and innocent, you had nothing to hide. (laughs) Now you have like 20 years of tax evasion under your belt. (laughs) Yeah, there's layers of crud. (laughs) Next time I see you in person, I'm just going to lock eyes with you. Just going to lock in. I'm going to see who breaks first. <laughs> James and I will cure you of this right now. I'll yeah. break first because I don't like it. Easy. I'm, I'm going to like hold You've your face the... and pry your oh, eyelids okay. open. <laughs> force you to confront your fear. Like a clockwork orange style. <laughs> All right. Okay. So now that we've given out good thing. advice. <laughs> yeah. I think that when any two groups of people come together there are all of these like back of the mind fears that maybe you don't even verbalize. Like, are these going to be rational people? You know, like, are they going to be crazy? Um, Yeah. And uh, I think one really good way to put that fear to rest is to organize a team activity that you do together that's low pressure, not work-related, easy and fun and gives everyone a chance to just let their guard down and enjoy each other's time or rather enjoy an activity together. So it's something positive, something fun. There are lots of different things you could do, but you got to make sure that it's inclusive of everyone so that everyone can participate. Mm -hmm. And I've seen those kinds of things do great work for a team. They work more smoothly. They are not leery. They're, they're not mistrusting after something like that. It's not like a silver bullet, like a one-time fix, you know, and everyone's happy and perfect. But it, I think it can help jumpstart a process in a situation like this. That's the classic team building exercise, right? That's right. That's right. I know it's cliche, but it works. I mean, it can also fail spectacularly. Well, how so? Like if you pick something that everyone hates, 
Well, actually, you know what? Even if you pick something everyone hates, it still might work because now they have a common enemy, which is you. Um, but they can bond over that. <laughs> <laughs> so like the drill sergeant mode, isn't that a thing they do? They just are huge jerks to, to make everyone unite against them. Yeah. Yeah. As you can surmise, I have not been through boot camp. <laughs> Nor have I. So I have heard about this. This is like a classic businessy pop psychology thing have you heard about the forming storming norming and performing stages of team evolution yes do you feel like those do those are those even worth reading um i don't i don't think so like i don't think i've ever been on a (laughs) i've been on a team and i'd be like okay we're storming right now next step is norming this feels a little stormy to me (laughs) Well, I don't know why I asked you, because I'm going to talk about it anyways. <laughs> the, the model goes like this. Your team starts in the forming phase, and people are kind of polite, and they're not really pushing back against each other. They don't really understand the boundaries very well, so people are on, on kind of good behavior. Um, after they get to know each other a little bit, they move to storming, which is where they're a little more comfortable uh, pushing back. Um, there might be some conflict as people who have very different beliefs start to like express those conflicting beliefs. Mm-hmm. There's norming where people kind of resolve things and hopefully things are gelling and like you and the person you think is an idiot because they think the opposite about everything is you are, are you don't think they're an idiot anymore. You just think like sometimes you disagree, but you can still work together productively. Mm. And I don't understand performing. It, it's just like more norming, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> things are even better norming faster (laughs) yeah more good gooder norming (laughs) i think the helpful thing about this model is this idea that it just kind of takes time and there might be some bumps along the road to forming a productive team that new people coming together might i think it's okay that there are some hiccups it sounds like from the question that things aren't quite clicking yet but that's okay i think that process takes time as long as you make clear what your expectations are and as long as you provide that environment of safety i think people i think most reasonable people will work it out i guess i think one of the things one of the problems i have with this model is that it assumes this blank slate empty canvas starting point you know the team comes together they're forming and then they move on Mm -hmm. to storming but most teams i've been on don't work that way it's like individuals come on one at a time and those individuals have to go through a forming phase i guess but the rest of the team is already on to norming or storming or whatever you know if if that's actually a thing. The fact that they all rhyme makes me think (laughs) it's much less, it it makes me think much less highly of it. (laughs) I just feel so stupid when I say all these words in a row. You're like, look, you're just grasping for rhyming words here. There's no way that the universe's laws of human interdynamics (laughs) actually came up with four rhyming words. No, but I'm pretty sure the laws of what will sell a lot of copies of my business leadership book <laughs> did come together to make these principles. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like I've been on in high growth companies that are just constantly in the forming phase because it's like we're adding new people at a breakneck pace. Mm-hmm. And every time we do, we have to reorg. You know, like we add enough people and now our old organizational structure doesn't work anymore. So now we have to reorg and now we have new people working in with people they haven't yeah. worked with before. So it's just like permaforming. Hmm. Oh, wait a minute. I thought of the fifth one. It goes forming, storming, norming, performing, and then terraforming. Oh, The team okay. goes to Mars, 
and converts it to a beautiful green, blue, Earth-like planet. That is the end goal of any team. That's right. <laughs> I learned that from playing uh, Civilization, where <laughs> yeah. one of the win conditions is your society evolves enough that you can build technology to get to Alpha Centauri. Nice. And you think your team is building a to-do list. <laughs> but if you get good enough at it, an item will appear on that to-do list, which is <laughs> get to, to Mars. Mars. <laughs> and then your next sprint planning will be like, well, we got to get this done. It's on our list. <laughs> I can commit to that for the sprint. <laughs> so if I was in the situation where I had two teams coming together for the first time and I was leading this team, I think I would try to prioritize a task that the team can accomplish together really quickly so that the team can feel what it's like to deliver a result with each other for the first time. Um, because that will give you all these opportunities to, to gel through the full life cycle of what your team needs to do. And having them feel that firsthand will, I think, preempt a lot of these questions like, oh, I wonder what it's like to respond to a bug with this team. Or I wonder what it's like when there's an outage and we have to deal with it. Or I wonder what it's like to negotiate with product management. All these things that you have to do as an engineering team, get through them in as short a time span as possible so you can move past all the phases. And then they don't have to ask these questions anymore. Like what, you know, how do we do things? Now you know, like you saw something get done. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I also think we've talked a lot about how the team works together, but the question is about team spirit, which to me is asking a little more about how they feel about things too. Uh, yeah, true. Kinda how do you make people happy and engaged with the mission of the team? And one of those, one answer to that could be make sure the mission of the team is clear. I think this is, this is an especially important thing to do as a leader of the team. That's one of your roles is to make sure there is a purpose besides do the tasks assigned to me because um, individual tasks can be fun. They can also be really crappy, but putting those tasks in the context of what this work will accomplish and what our team is trying to accomplish makes it a lot easier to, um, I don't know, to believe in the mission, I guess. Yeah. And there's still room. You can still go work somewhere for money and go home and have a normal life. You don't have to be fully committed to creating the best to-do list app that has ever existed. <laughs> but I think while you're at work, the work can be more engaging if you feel like, yeah, I basically know what I'm doing. And I think I, I understand the end goal here. I understand if the team does well, here's how it would affect the company or the customers or the outside world. And I think that helps a little bit with team spirit. I personally also find it a lot easier to feel like there's some kind of team spirit if there are shared values that are talked about and agreed upon and followed by the team. So here are the kinds of behavior that we like, here are the kinds of things that we reward. And I don't, I have a personal belief about what they should be. I don't think it matters too much what they are as long as they're vaguely good. Uh, <laughs> and it depends on the team for sure. But as long as they're positive things that the team believes, that's kind of giving you a target of like, this is the kind of behavior that we like. I don't know. It just eliminates some of the ambiguity of like, just come and type on yeah. your computer and, and everything else is a big, vague <laughs> question mark. I love that. Maybe you're the silly hats team. <laughs> we didn't talk about dumb gimmicks. <laughs> Wait, dumb gimmicks? Well, okay. Yeah. Not dumb. I'm, I apologize. Not dumb gimmicks. Yeah. As if you even need that adjective in this sentence at all. 
on this team, we wear superhero themed, but also actual figurines of superheroes glued to the top of our hats. Hats. <laughs> you get pulled into a meeting with your VP. Like, why is there a Spider-Man dangling from your brim? Like, It's part of our values. <laughs> <laughs> it's our core yeah. value. <laughs> And you say, watch this. And you whip your head to the side and the web extends and he like flings over and sticks to your keyboard and starts the build for you. Starts out, yeah. <laughs> That's why. Types out a wicked for loop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any more questions? <laughs> and you whip your head back and it comes zooming back and attaches to your hat. <laughs> I think I have a startup idea. I'll be back <laughs> in 18 months. <laughs> With a Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, with a Series A round and a gold <laughs> chain around my neck. All right. Well, I think I think on that note, this question is answered. Yep. <laughs> Good luck, Cindy. Do you want to read our next one? Yes, indeed. Let me uh, let me pull it up here. Okay, this one comes from an anonymous listener who says, I work for a small startup of less than 10 people. My boss wants to hire another front-end developer and asks me to look around. I don't feel particularly strong about this team. I've been here about a year, but I don't imagine myself working here for another 12 months. I don't want to refer my friends because I don't want them to join a team I don't feel good about. On the other <laughs> hand, I want to work with great people. I see how other devs may enjoy working in such an environment, but it's just not for me. In the long run, I obviously want to leave this job, but what would you recommend doing in the short term? Is hiring under such circumstances really that different than hiring if I liked this team? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is pretty different. It is different. <laughs> I was talking to Dave before the show. Usually me not wanting to refer my friends is the leading indicator that I'll be quitting that job in six months. Yeah. <laughs> leading as in it comes ahead, uh, comes, <laughs> comes before I discover that I want to quit my job. Wow. So it's like, I don't know if it's heads that up, way James, for everybody. You but... stop referring your friends, you're probably going to yeah. quit in six months. And you're like, no, never. Yeah, no, I things are fine. Like, <laughs> I just don't, it's just not the right place for them, but it's fine <laughs> for me. It's just not the right place for anyone else. Yeah. Or anyone I know. And then in six months, I wake up and think, I have to quit my job. And then I do it <laughs> that day. <laughs> I wish you were joking. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do better next time. <laughs> okay. Anyways, tangent uh, accomplished. <laughs> I would say this assignment, based on the wording here, my boss wants me to, my boss wants to hire another developer, yeah, and asked me to look around for people. That's a pretty easy commitment to dodge, I think. Yeah. Yeah, if you're not a recruiter or a hiring manager, if if your boss is just asking you, hey, do you know anybody? It's very easy to just mumble like, <laughs> and then, I don't know, yeah, <laughs> fine. I asked, I asked all my friends and they were happy in their jobs, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really tried to pitch them, hey, come over here, it's really great, everything. <laughs> and they, they didn't, I don't know, I just I, couldn't I, make the sale. Yeah, I tried. Because I, I'm a software developer, not, yeah, I'm not a recruiter. In I'm not in sales. <laughs> what is this? Yeah. Yeah, so you're saying the the expectation of effort on this on on your part is pretty low. That it's basically look around, see if any of your friends both want a new job and and want this new job. Yep. And and there's a chance, like you said, that this job is actually right for someone who's not you. 
So I think you could genuinely approach those people and say, I think this job would be great for you. And even if you end up leaving a few months after they start, I don't think that's the end of the world. Um, if you really want to be super transparent, you might tell them, look, I'm, I'm planning to leave, but I think you would really like this job. You know, that, that would be okay. But I don't even think that's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about that too, that there might, you might be able to identify the kind of person who would enjoy it and be successful there, even if you feel like you're struggling with, with some things there. Maybe there are things that, I mean, maybe you really don't like bureaucracy, but some people are okay with it. Or maybe you don't like, that's probably less likely at a small startup. Maybe you don't like yeah. um, not having any plans ever or constantly shifting wildly mm -hmm. from one direction to another. Mm -hmm. And maybe maybe some people are like, oh, that's fine. I'll just do the important thing today. And if it's different tomorrow, I'll do that important thing. There, there are lots of different kind of people. And maybe maybe they enjoy the excitement, right? Like yeah. every day is a new adventure. What's our what's our business model today? <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to be our Time CEO for a this pivot? week? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I love pivoting. Yeah. Uh, pivoting in place is just doing a pirouette. And I am an expert <laughs> at ballet, so <laughs> this is the job for me. But yeah, there there could be things, there could be things that won't bother people, or things that they'll enjoy about a challenge that you don't enjoy. Yeah, maybe sure. the front end is really, really bad and gnarly, and there's someone that really loves coming in and cleaning stuff up, versus someone who wants to come in and and like work on this pristine, beautiful code base. Yep, absolutely. And I think you should just go right after those people. If they exist. <laughs> I like coming in and cleaning stuff up. Yeah. But the point is that there might be things that make it a good fit for someone else that you could honestly say, I think you would like it here, even if I don't. Instead of just saying, well, I hate it here and I'm going to quit. So no one should work at this company. Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely also things that make it that way. So don't don't feel like you need to encourage people to join a, a toxic or, or abusive or right. very negative culture. Right, definitely. And I've actually been in the situation where people have recruited me to a company or to a team and then left shortly after I joined. And you know what? I don't hold any ill will toward those people. I came in knowing what the team was all about. And even though the people who, who invited me to join have left, I don't have a problem with that. And, and quite frankly, in some cases, I think it gives you a great opportunity for growth. Because it's like, okay, you're on your own now. You know, this person was your bridge yeah. to get here, but that bridge is gone. So now you have to spread your wings and fly, little bird. I just imagine you sitting down for a pair programming session with the person who recruited you. And they just look over at you and then they stand up and start walking away. And you're like, but what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm on my own. Yep. <laughs> huh. Well, what else? Um, well depending on how much backbone you want to exhibit here, this is an opportunity to tell your manager, your boss, who's making this request, why you don't feel comfortable recruiting. And maybe this is an opportunity for you to say, look, there are some mm. things about this place that make me not want to invite my friends to come work here. And if you feel like you could actually make a difference by doing that, this is your opportunity to do that. But boy, it's going to take a bit of backbone. It's going to take a bit of diplomacy. And um, you have to be pretty proactive to want to do this. I mean, obviously, in this case, the easy route out would be to walk away from the job and find one that suits you better. But if you really want to make a difference and try to do something super challenging that might actually help a lot of people, 
then this may be your chance. And if you think about your coworkers, there's a really good chance that you're not alone in the way you feel about the company. Now, if it's mm. like what Jameson was saying earlier, where it's just, well, I don't like startups with 10 people, you know, that's, you're not going to change that with a conversation. That's a, that's a case of you need to find a better job for you. But if there actually are things about the company that you think could be improved, this is your chance to bring it up. Yeah. And the fact that the company is that small means you theoretically have a higher chance of making a difference in it. If you worked at a company of 10,000 people, you could exert local influence on your team, but you're unlikely to be able to change the direction of the company immediately. Take a lot of work in a long time. Yeah, but so at a startup, I, they're, used, I, I, they're used to pivoting. <laughs> yeah, that's Just true. pivot their culture. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What were you going to say? I was going to say that at a, at a company of 10,000 people, I'd say the probability of changing it is a, about three orders of magnitude <laughs> smaller. <laughs> yeah. So what would you recommend in the short term? It sounds like a recommendation is like maybe you... Maybe you have that one friend who just would fit and you could refer them. Maybe you tell them up front, hey, I'm leaving. Maybe you mumble very quietly on Twitter or wherever your network is. <laughs> Use the mumble or, uh, Yeah. Or, or maybe you have a frank conversation with your boss about, about things. Mm -hmm. Maybe you get a new job right away. That's true. Maybe you sidestep this whole <laughs> issue by just quitting today. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's what Jameson would do. I, I definitely think you're under no obligation to like sucker your friends into a bad situation though. I mean, your boss can ask you for referrals, but you don't have to, you don't owe your boss that, right? You owe them the time while you're employed, but you don't owe them. You don't need to harm your friends or, or your network <laughs> by putting them in a harmful situation. So yeah. Yeah. It's their job to make it a good place to work. Well, I guess it's kind of yours too, but <laughs> yeah, that that is definitely shared ownership. Especially if you're a member of a 10-person company. <laughs> yeah. You are 10% of okay. the problem. <laughs> yeah. Have we answered the question? I think so. I, th I think we can let this one run now. Good luck, anonymous listener. Let us know what you do. Good luck. We'll never know. Anyone could, Im could impersonate this person and say, oh, I just ended up putting on clown shoes and that made everything better. And we'd... <laughs> I was that listener. <laughs> we'll believe you. <laughs> we have no way to authenticate you. Yep. But I, frankly, the clown shoes are authentication enough, I think. <laughs> Only one developer would wear clown shoes. <laughs> Bob, is that right. you? <laughs> where, uh, where should people go if they want their own questions answered? Go to our website at softskills.audio where you can also support the show with Patreon by making a small monthly pledge, which we very much appreciate, as Jameson said. Uh, if you'd like to share the show, tweet about us on Twitter. You can also follow us at softskillseng. You're welcome to send us direct messages, share tweets of the show. We also share our own tweets occasionally with interesting tidbits of knowledge as well as episode announcements. All right, we'll catch you next week.